Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. Give God some praise for our tech group. All right. Because I'm, oh, are we, oh, are we good? We're ready? Oh, okay. Because I'm going to read scripture first before we really dive in today, I want to change the order of the opening a little bit. We're going to go ahead and we're going to say our Bible confession first. We're going to say our Bible confession first. We always like to say that confession before we get into the Word of God. And then we're going to read a scripture, grouping, pray, and we're going to get into this thing. So put our Bible confession up there for me. Let's say that bad boy. Ready? Go. This is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God-breathed, and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Family, we're going to take you to the book of Exodus Chapter 3, easy to read version. You know, we're going to re-engage our conversation today concerning Moses and this burning bush. And that account kicks off in Exodus 3, and we're going to pick it up from verse 1. I'm going to read it straight through, and you can follow along on whichever monitor is closest to you. Here we go, verse 1. Moses' father-in-law named Jethro was named Jethro. Jethro was a priest of Midian. Moses took care of Jethro's sheep. One day, Moses led the sheep to the west side of the desert. He went to a mountain called Horeb, the mountain of God. On that mountain, Moses saw the angel of the Lord in a burning bush. Moses saw a bush that was burning without being destroyed. So he decided to go closer to the bush and see how a bush could continue burning without being burned up. The Lord saw Moses coming to look at the bush. So he called to him from the bush. He said, Moses, Moses. Moses said, yes, Lord. Then God said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals. You are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your ancestors. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have seen the troubles my people have suffered in Egypt, and I have heard their cries when the Egyptians hurt them. I know about their pain. Now I will go down and save my people from the Egyptians. I will take them from that land and lead them to a good land where they can be free from these troubles. It is a land filled with many good things. Many different people live in that land. The Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites. Parasites, Hivites, and Jebusites. I have heard the cries of the Israelites, and I have seen the way the Egyptians have made life hard for them. 
So now I am sending you to Pharaoh. Go, lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, I am not a great man. How can I be the one to go to Pharaoh and lead the Israelites out of Egypt? Let's pray. God, I thank you for each and every person here. We never take it for granted this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to be life into each and every person. I also pray that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message this day that they can use. They will be able to use this word and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but they will be able to use this word and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Family, lock your eyes there on those verses at the end, verses 10 through 11, because God, the God of everything, is selecting Moses or trying to select Moses for a task. But Moses is doing his very best to kind of tell God, you know, God, I'm not fit for that task. When you look at that, God says, I'm sending you go to Egypt. Moses turns around. It's like, mm mm. I'm not a great man. He is doing his best efforts to try to get God to move his mind off of what God is asking him to do. If you look at chapters three and chapter four, you will see that Moses, he's working hard at that thing. God, they ain't going to believe me. God, I can't do this. God, I don't speak right. God, 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 it would be better for you to send somebody else. He wants God to send somebody else. But guess what? There's 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 nobody else better. God looks through his, you know, back in the day before they had all this electronic stuff, we had like a Rolodex. You know, you have to you have to flip that thing. But God looks through his Rolodex or flips through his phone or whatever he got that he keep his records in. And he's looking at all the candidates of who could do this work. And when he looks around at everybody, he sees no one better. He sees no one better. On the other hand, Moses. Moses looks at himself, looks at what God is asking him to do. Look at how hard he thinks that's going to be. Look at how he thinks people are going to trip on him. And what he says is, you know what? I think it better that God, you pick anyone else. But once more, there is no better selection to be made. Moses looks at himself and he throws out the label unqualified. God looks at Moses and he concludes qualified. Moses is the right man for the job. God is sure of it. But family, how can God be so sure? I mean, we know that he's all knowing all-seeing, almighty, all-powerful God, so we got to give him that. But what is it about Moses that causes God to look at him and say, oh boy, I know you the one for me. The answer to that is Moses' history. 
when God looks at Moses, he doesn't just see a man. God looks at Moses and he sees a man, but he also sees a man with beneficial past experiences. He looks at him and he sees a man with, ooh, just the right kind of history. The same case is with all of us. The same case is with you. The same case is with me. When God looks at you, he sees you. He sees all of you. He knows all about you. Remember, Moses pipes up. God hasn't even got into the meat and potatoes of it yet. He says, God, I'm not the one. And then he goes, God, because, 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 because. Guess what? Boy, God already knew you when he called you. It's the same with us. God sees and knows, guess what? Your person. That means he know your hair color, your eye color. He know how tall you are. He knows how tall you're not. He knows how much you weigh. He knows how much you wish you weighed. <laughs> See, you laugh, but that's both ways. That's both ways. Come on now. Sometimes people feel they're carrying a little bit you know, extra pounds. But I can't even count the number of people in my life that have been trying to gain weight, raise their weight. And of course, people that you can call it that struggle with their weight, what do they say? I can't stand you. <laughs> they eat everything, you know, like I can't stand you. But God, God knows your person. God also knows your persona. He knows how you like to roll your eyes and jerk your neck around. He knows how you like to suck your teeth. He knows how you're always talking about you can't do nothing because your feet hurt. He knows all about that. God knows all those things. He, he knows how when people get upset with you and, and, and you get upset with them, that you guys kind of bicker a little bit and you use your words properly during the debate. But when they walk away, that you cuss them out under your breath. He, he know that. All right, God bless you. He, he know all that stuff about you. That's not a surprise to him. God also knows your history. He knows your history as a people, though. Sometimes we look at our past and we cause that past to cause us to look down on us. But that very thing that you try to run away from, that you try to hide, that very stuff could be the very unique set of experiences that captures God's attention about you. That thing, that past, those experiences, those things could be the very things that, hey, guess what? Cause God to look in a crowd of a thousand and pick you out of the crowd. Your history. I want you to realize that 
God has a way of structuring the path of things such that whatever assignment he has aligns with your history. It's his typical mode of operation. It's, it's kind of what he's trying to arrange here with Moses. But Moses isn't having it. Before we get a little deeper into Moses' life, though, or talk about it a little bit more, I want you to give me, just allow me for a quick moment, more than a moment, but allow me the luxury of a little detour, a rabbit trail, if you will. Just allow me that. I've made a contention before you, a theory, a hypothesis. I've thrown something out at you. I said that God has a way, I use the word typical, remember? God has a way of taking one's experience and his purposes and kind of line those things up together. I made that contention. And when I throw that out there and I say typical, typical don't mean every now and then. Typical means more often than not. God will do that. If it's something that's typical, then guess what? It's probably not just a Moses thing or a Benjamin thing or a your name thing. It has to be something, if my contention is true, that we can observe God doing over and over and over and over again. And we do. I want you to put Moses on hold for a minute and I want you to pivot with me. Go from the Old Testament to the New Testament and let's switch people up. Let's halt our discussion about the man named Moses and let's have a small conversation of the man called Paul. Remember the underlying move or thought process or thing we're trying to discover here is I'm telling you that God takes your history and aligns it with his purpose. I can promise you that this detour that we're about to make will not be in vain. We will circle back and draw a useful parallel to Moses. But let's talk about this guy, this Paul guy. You know, when on the scene, as far as we're concerned, Paul or Apostle Paul, he is not called Paul in the scripture. When the Bible introduces us to this man in the book of Acts, the Bible calls him Saul. Not Paul but Saul, and Saul is a torturer of the church. And when I say the church, the torturer of those who want to follow Jesus, they call him the people of the way. Book of Acts, chapter, chapter 8, notice this. Amplified Classic, eight, eight, <laughs> chapter 8, verse 3 in Acts. It reads, 
but Saul shamefully treated and laid waste to the church continuously with cruelty and violence and entering house after house, he dragged out men and women and committed them to prison. That's, that's a man that's serious about his work. Not only was it, was it cruel and violence, you weren't even safe in your own house. This is Saul. Saul definitely wreaked havoc on the church. But guess what? In the next chapter, things change. In chapter nine of Acts, Jesus confronts Saul. He confronts him in a supernatural manner. And that confrontation ends up transforming Saul from a torturer of the church to a contender of the faith. As the story goes, Saul's doing his thing, kind of minding his own business. The Bible says he was on the road to Damascus. Jesus supernaturally interrupts him. Boom. And then he begins to speak with him. Acts 9. Acts 9, verses 3 through 5 in the voice Bible. It says, he, meaning Saul, he traveled north, north towards Damascus with a group of companions. Imagine this. Suddenly, a light flashes from the sky around Saul, and he falls to the ground at the sound of a voice. The Lord says, Saul, Saul, why are you attacking me? Saul says, Lord, who, 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 who are you? Who, who you is? I don't, who is this talking to me? Saul says, Lord, who are you? Then he hears these words. The Lord says, I am Jesus. I am the one you are attacking. After this event, after Saul has had some time, time to recover and to, to kind of pull himself together, to reflect. And when I say recover, you have to read the account. This, this had an effect on him. Blindness and you know, all these things he had to be transported, led by somebody else. But read it yourself. The bottom line is it had effect on him. After he reflected, his heart towards Jesus changed. It changed so much that everybody was surprised that this man now supports the church. Look at this. Acts chapter 9, verses 20 through 21 in the voice. Then he went into the very synagogues he had intended to purge, proclaiming, Jesus is God's son. This is Saul now doing his best church boy dance in the street. Proclaiming Jesus. Verse 21, obviously, this amazed everybody and the buzz spread. The people say, isn't he the man who caused so much trouble in Jerusalem for everybody to identify with Jesus? You know, they talking out the side of their mouth because they can't believe it. <laughs> then he come down here to arrest folks and, and Jesus bring them to the chains and release. He says, he said, they're talking to him. Then is this the man? They say, didn't he come down here to arrest followers of Jesus and bring them in chains to the religious authorities? Now he switched sides and is preaching Jesus? Yes, indeed. Saul has switched sides. And beyond this point, at some point in time in the Bible, 
he emerges with the name that the Bible uses, and it's Paul. Now, there's a lot of discussion that, you know, he didn't pick up another name. Paul was already his name, but in a different uh, ethnicity or, eth or culture. But the bottom line is the Bible starts calling him a different name when he becomes a different man. From now to the rest of his life, this man didn't persecute the church, but promoted the church. Even to the point to where when he did his writing, sometimes he introduced himself as, hey, I'm Paul. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. Wanted to make sure you knew he knew that. All of this to say God has picked Paul. Whether Paul knows it or not, God has picked him. But my question is this. Why did God pick Paul? If my theory is correct, more than likely Paul's history played a part in him getting picked. And in my opinion, it does. Two more passages, passages of scripture about Paul real quick. Check this out. Philippians chapter three, verse five in the voice. Paul's talking. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day as the law prescribed, born of the nation of Israel, descended from the tribe, descended from the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew born of Hebrews. I have observed the law according to the strict piety of the Pharisees, separate from those embracing a less rigorous kind of Judaism. He also said this. Go to the next one. In Acts 22, verses 24 through 29 in the voice. This is speaking of Paul. He didn't he didn't say this yet. See, the part in blue is when he's talking. The commandment ordered the soldiers to bring Paul to the barracks and flog him until he confessed to whatever he had done to stir up this outrage. Back at the barracks, they tied him up with leather throngs. Thongs, that thong, that's not thongs, right? That don't, that, it hurt me to say that out loud. I got an image of Paul that don't, it don't fit right with me. Paul and thongs just don't fit right. I got to compose myself. Y'all know in my mind, like, mm, get that out of there, Lord, get that out of there. But I think this is a different kind of leather thong they talking about. Back at the barracks, they tied him up with some leather. Let's just, let's just put it right there. Paul spoke to a nearby officer. Officer, Paul said, um, excuse me, sir, is this legal for you to flog a Roman citizen without a trial? The officer went and spoke to the, command, the commandant. The officer said, it's commandant. You can say commander. Yeah, you were. It's commandant. I get it right 20% of the time. The officer said, what can you do about this? Did you know this fellow was a Roman citizen? The commandant rushed into Paul's side. Now he's nervous. What's this? Are you really a Roman citizen? Paul said, yes. The commandant said, I paid a small fortune for my citizenship, 
Paul said, I ain't paid nothing. Paul said, I was born a citizen. Ooh, family, stay with me. Hearing this, those who were about to start flogging pulled back. The commandant was concerned because he had arrested and bound a citizen without cause. Now, we've read about five things, five passages that talk about Paul. And when you think about those five passages, I'm going to tell you that in there, in and out there, it may not be everything about Paul, but there is enough in there about Paul that allows us to pick out some items that, guess what, made him of interest to God, that made him a, a very likely recruit. Notice. There is something about Paul, I call it his call by God qualification resume. And now we're going to just shorten the call by God resume. But I'm talking about a resume that he has about himself that makes him likely to be called by God. If you were to pick through all those things we read, you would get at least these out. He was born of the nation of Israel. He was a Hebrew born of Hebrews. A strict law observing Pharisee. Dedicated his time to hunting Jesus followers. He was born a Roman citizen. Oh, there's so much about him that God sees that when Paul was going on about his life, he never thought God would see this this way. But notice this next image, please. What is it about Paul and his history that caught God's eye? Let's take a few seconds to pick it apart. It says he was born of the nation of Israel. He was a Hebrew born of Hebrews, a strict law abiding Pharisee. So let's let's just jump into it. If he was a is, nation of Israel, if he's a Hebrew, he knew the people that he'd become a connect contact with. He had knowledge of them, firsthand knowledge. Guess what about these 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 Hebrew and Jewish people? At one point in time, he dedicated his time to hunting them down. You got to know what you hunting. Every good hunter spends time observing his prey. So he know them people. Guess what? He was a law, a law studying, strict abiding Pharisee. So he knew them people, too. He was born a Roman citizen, so he knew those folks. So he knew the Jews and guess what? The Gentiles. He also was familiar with the governing political power and leadership at the time. What do I mean? Rome. Rome controlled everything and he was a Roman citizen. And all these other things by just living there, he understood it. He knew how Rome operated and he knew the leadership, whichever, whichever reigning Caesar was in power at the time, overseeing at the time. He knew all about that. He also knew and had firsthand knowledge of the governing religious power at the time, the Sanhedrin. A religious council led by the high priest. Also including people like elders and Pharisees and Scribes and Sadducees and all them C's and all the people 
Whoever was in there, he knew them. Look at that. Look at how much cross-referencing is possible with Paul's background and what God wants him to do. It is glaringly obvious that God did not just pick Paul on a whim. God didn't blindfold himself in a room or whatever space God could possibly fit in in the middle of something, surrounded by thousands and thousands of men, blindfold on, take a, a dart out of his pocket, spin around real fast 10 times and got himself dizzy and throw it and pick somebody like that. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. Paul's history made him a qualified candidate. His history did that. Now shift back with me. Back to the Old Testament, back to Moses, and back to this thing God's trying to get him to do. If Paul has a call by God qualification resume, then I should be able to present to you a Moses call by God qualification resume. And if we were to overlay those things on top of each other, I wonder what we would see. Notice. Hmm. Here are some things about Moses. Now, before anyone says anything, we're not going to read the scripture because we've read them before. In other sessions. So. couple pastoral moments. If by chance you didn't know we read them, ooh, you should have been listening. <laughs> I'm not saying you should have been here, but you should at least caught them, caught them on, on virtual. If you're, if you're visiting, you can read them. Exodus chapter two through four should get you most of this, if not all of it. And we're going to read them in, in other sessions too, but for now, let's just talk about them. I'm going to tell you Moses born of the nation of Israel, born Hebrew, adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, so grandson to Pharaoh. His mother, his birth mother was his nanny. And he spent 40 years in Midian. Now, what did that have to do with people connections and governing powers and stuff like that? Well, if he's a Hebrew and his mama is his nanny, he know about the people. He know about God's people. If he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, he knows about them people. Being adopted by Pharaoh's daughter also lets him know the political superpower at the time and the leadership. Not only that, he is on the inside. When he learns stuff that Pharaoh wants to do, he's not getting it hearsay. He at the kitchen table. Pharaoh is Pharaoh to everybody else. He pawpaw to Moses. You understand what I'm saying? This man, if anybody knows the inner workings of Egypt, he will. 
he knows the religious powers and leadership at the time. Adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. So he knows about the, the sun god Ra and all this other stuff. But guess what? When his mama giving him a bath as a little boy, she's talking to him about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. When he come and say, oh, God, mama, we're going to stretch our hands to the to the to the, to the uh, fertilization. God she says, OK, baby, let's do that. But here, let me tell you about the God of Isaac and, and Abraham and Jacob. We 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 don't do that. Where we come from, we just pray to one God. And that God is all powerful. That God is almighty. He can take care of anything that you need, get you anything that you want. But I know you got to do that when you're over there. But when you're around mama, we pray to God only. So he, he, he getting all the religious knowledge too. What about this Midian thing though? After he kills somebody, he escapes and runs to Midian and he ends up getting hitched, getting married to Jethro's daughter. And for 40 years. He cares for this man's sheep. He 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 escorts them and walks them through a, a desert land. Oh, family. Don't let that slip. Don't let that tiptoe by you. Let me put it in your face. This man is out there in a desert land walking around sheep for 40 years. Tell me, how many years was God people in the wilderness? Who, sir? Paul's history got him selected. Moses' history got him selected. This family tells us that God understands something. God understands, bottom right corner, that a person's history can increase his or her usefulness to the kingdom. God knows it. You and me, our history. The history that whatever it is we have, the history can have a great effect on us. And the effect that it has can put us into a position to where we start to build, whether we know it or not, a call by God qualification Resume. Notice this. Your history. We talking about your history. The thing that shapes your mindset and your thoughts. The things that mold how you act in, in, the, in the way you have opinions. That kind of help influence the person you are today. Your history, shaping your personality, influencing your approach to life, fashioning the way you think about stuff. Your history, that thing can make you wiser. Your history can make you well-grounded. It can make you stronger, well-rounded. It can make you stronger. It can make you more grounded. 
Your history can make you resilient. What do I mean by resilient? It can build your situational stamina. You see, the devil might throw at you one time what it's like to be broke. But once I done been broke, you can't get me with that no more. I have built up situational stamina in my history. Your history can build up your situational stamina. It's, it's, it's kind of like what Paul said. Notice this. Paul said in Philippians chapter four, verses 12 through 13 in the voice, he says, I know how to survive in tight situations and I know how to enjoy having plenty. In fact, I have learned how to face any circumstances, fed or hungry, with or without. I can be content in any and every situation through the anointed one who is my power and strength. Family, Paul says, I'm a survivor. I'm a survivor because why? It's not a hypothesis. It's not an assumption. It's not something that I just heard my mama say. I didn't read it in a book. I know how to survive. Why? Because doggone it, there is something I know. I know how to survive in tight situations. Why? Because there is something I have learned past tense. I've learned. My history has taught me something about myself. My history has taught me how to make adjustments as necessary in life. He says, I've learned how to survive in tight situations. I've learned how to survive when I'm hungry. I've learned how to survive without. I've learned. I've learned what it's like to have friends that are good to you. I've learned what it's like to have friends that stab you in the back. I've learned what it's like to have a successful business, and I've learned what it's like to have a business fail. I've learned. I know what it's like to have a good running car, but no money to put gas in it. So you got a bummer ride. From somebody you don't even like. But flip that around. I know what it's like to have gas money, but your car don't work. So you got a bummer ride for somebody you don't even like. I know what it's like for your family to talk about you. I know what it's like to want to put a better meal on the food on the on the table for your family but the dollar menu is all you can bring home i know what it's like to want to have beef but you got to bring out the rice and the potatoes and the bread and the syrup and the peanut butter and jelly and the tuna fish and the beanie weenie i know what it's like I also know what it's like to be riding good. 
living good, having enough to be a blessing to other people. Paul says, any situation, whether I'm up, whether I'm down, whether times are good or whether times are bad, I've learned something. I'm a survivor. Why? Because in my history, I've learned that when life throws and hits me with a punch, I've learned how to roll with the punches. Not only that, though, don't forget the last part. I can be content in any and every circumstance, every, in any, every situation. He says, through. Through. As long as I got King Jesus. I've learned how to roll with the punches while I roll with my Jesus. I've learned to roll with the punches while I roll with my God. I've learned to roll with the punches while I roll with the one who's never going to leave me, never going to forsake me. I've learned some things. As long as I got Jesus, you can talk about me as much as you please. The more you talk, I'm going to bend my knees and pray to my God. I've learned some things. And what I have learned has made me situationally resilient. You can't get me because I'm broke. I've been broke before. You can't get me because I'm hurt. I've been hurt before. You can't get me because they lied on me. I've been lied on before. You can't get me because they fired me. I've been fired before. You can't get me anymore. Why? I've learned. I've learned. I've learned. Your history. Family, the, the history can take you and put you in a position such that when God looks at you, no matter how you look at yourself, God don't see a rookie. You might say, I'm, 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 I'm not qualified. God says, but based on your resume, are you serious? All the hurt you've been through, all the pain you've been through, all the they put you through, you mean to tell me you're not qualified? God says, I'm looking at your resume. God says, you say unqualified, but in case you didn't know, your history qualifies you. There are things that we go through in our life and we take the time to ask why you're building a resume. And not just any resume. A resume that causes God to look at you and say, oh, you know, God looks at you and he sees so much potential. 
He sees potential in the thing that you try to run away from, that you try to hide, that you embarrassed about. God sees potential, though. And it's, it's written so deep in your resume that you couldn't avoid the good God wants to do in you if you let him, if you tried. Family, your history, the things that you've been through, the things you're going through. Guess what? Whether those things are good or whether those things are bad, that stuff can increase your stock value for the kingdom. That history can make you the complete package. It can make you the real deal. It can make you the first round draft pick. That history. That history. That history will make you the most sought after person in heaven. That history. Your history does that. Your history sets you up for that. Your history raises up your kingdom stock value. When we think about it, as, as, as a group of believers, the concept, the theory, the, the, the statement that your history raises your stock value, many of us don't think of it that way. But God does. He most certainly does. As I studied, as I studied this, I... I thought about something. And when I thought about it, I felt it necessary. You know, I, I like to get stuff out there. So let's get it out there. I imagine that there are some people who, when they hear me make that contention that, you know, God uses your history to qualify you. Your history qualifies you. Your history qualifies you. That people can call it, they can have issue with that. In particular, the issue is, Pastor, Sir, Benjamin, you boy, whatever they call me. I, I debate, I disagree with what you're saying. Because, believer, God qualifies me, not my history. Jesus Christ and the blood he shed for me on Calvary is what qualifies me, not my history. The Holy Spirit on the inside of me qualifies me, not my history. And to that I say, if you have sat through everything that we've discussed and that's what you got out of it, you've missed the whole point. Allow me to say to you, my family, regardless of what they say, let me tell you what I have not said. 
I never said, never, that God does not qualify you. As a matter of fact, if God is the one doing the picking, he is the qualifier. I never said that Jesus and the work he did on the cross and every prayer he's still given to us and what he means. I never said that was not important. Never said that. I never said that the Holy Spirit was not significant. I never said that. Oh, get this. I never even said this. I never said that only your bad history is what he's looking for. I never said that. I never even said that your history is the only qualifier that God would look at. We know God don't need your history. I never said that. And in case we from different places, how many different ways can I say no? Nope, I didn't say it. Nope, no, nah, uh-uh, no, I ain't say it. Don't tell people I said that. Uh-uh, no, nah, yeah, no, no, uh-uh, no, uh-uh. And if they caught us, if they caught us at a younger time, we're like, mm, no, nah. I ain't say that. I didn't say any of that stuff for the people that you may know that have issue for us here today in the simplest way that I know how. Let me just lay out the point of the whole message. This is the point of the message. All of us have either gone through or are in situations or are in circumstances that have shaped or will shape the persons we are or will become. All of us. In short, we are molded by our history. Now, depending on the assignment. God may view the person who emerges from that mold as being perfect for the task at hand. Hence, therefore, in other words, in that regard and in God's eyes, your history qualifies you. It's your history. Where's your pastor getting ready to take you next, next, next session? I'm so glad you thought it or you asked that question. Maybe we just connected like that. I'm going at this directly. The pain that you've been through, that thing's on your resume. Stop hiding it. Let God use it and become who he's called you to be. That pain, that injury, that, that, that financial failure, that relationship failure. Let God use that. 
Stop hiding it. Stop running from it. Stop looking down on yourself about it. Why? Because, baby, that's on your resume. And you hide from it and you dip and dodge from it. And every time you ditch and dodge, dip and ditch and dodge from it, what, what happens? The devil knows he got you. But you need to say you can't get me with that no more. I know how they did me back then. I know what the person did to me back then. I know what I wish for back then. But guess what? The simple fact that that happened to me back there. But I'm still standing here. Come on, somebody. I'm still standing. I got the medical report. And month passed by. Year passed by. Two years passed by. And I looked up and doggone it. I'm still here. My situational resiliency is through the roof. It's on your resume. Your call by God qualification resume says God might look at you and say, ooh, you just my type. Which, by the way, is the right type for the task at hand. I love you so much, family. Till next time, let's pray. God, I thank you for allowing us the opportunity to hear from you. There is never a time that we ever want to take for granted who you are in our life. Everything that we've gone through, though, in our life, we must get to the point to where we acknowledge it is something that you can use. And we are going to offer it up to you for your use. We have to know that we're safe in your arms. We have to know that when we are obedient to you, lives are changed for the better. And in the process, we're made better. In some regards, we, in some regards, we learn that we could do something we never knew we could do. But we got to stop looking down on ourselves because of whatever might have happened. God, whether it was our fault or not, whether we had a part to play in it or not, everything we are, you already knew who we were when you called us. It's our job to stop ignoring you. Just put our lives in your hands and let you be who you are. Almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God. And we're confident that we will be better people for it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. 
As always, we pray that the Word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.